You ready for the word of the Lord this morning? And then I will tell you that we will be observing the ordinance of the Church of Holy Communion at the end of the service. Please don't rush out. Let's allow the Lord to minister to us today. I've been reading a book by G. Campbell Morgan. He's a great, he was the great pastor of Westminster Chapel, prolific author of the early 1900s. Uh, leading Bible teacher of his day, and he has much to say to preachers. He made a statement that caught my attention, and it helps define that which is done from this pulpit every week, whether by myself or one of our other pastors as a guest speaker. He said this. Uh, He said, preaching is the declaration of the grace of God to human need on the authority of the throne of God. That alone caught my attention. He was just putting it in a very defined way. Let me say it again. Preaching is the declaration of the grace of God to human need on the authority of the throne of God. Whenever we preach, he says, we stand between those two things, between human need and divine grace. And that's what I'm endeavoring to do today. I've sought the Lord. I've asked Him uh, to convey to me the truth that I am to give to you today and I have done so with a keen sensitivity to the specific needs of our fellowship. So I'm asking you to pray for me that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in His sight today. And the church said, Amen. Turn with me in your Bible or in your device, whatever you have, to the Gospel of John chapter 4. Gospel of John chapter 4. I cannot speak for you, but I can certainly speak for myself when I say, I believe in miracles. I believe in a God for whom nothing is impossible. I have to, not because I'm a pastor, but because I clearly see the evidence of His miracle-working power in your lives. And I know what God has done in my own life and in the life of my family. Many of you have heard the um, incredible, dramatic testimony of the healing of my grandmother years ago. I have to because I hear too many testimonies from incredible people And I see too many undeniable results to not believe in a God of miracles. Well, there are 37 miracles given to us in the Gospels, and the book of John gives us seven of them, depending upon who you're asking and reading and studying. Some would say eight, but seven for sure. The first miracle of Jesus is something that I learned. It's one of my earliest memories from Sunday school class. Some call it a sign, a miracle or a sign, but it comes from John chapter 2 where Jesus turned the water into wine at a wedding in the Cana of Galilee. And I just want us to know there is still teaching for us today in the signs and the miracles of Scripture. There is direction in every deliverance in the gospel. There is hope for us in every healing. There's teaching in every triumph. And there is a message in every miracle. Is there an amen to that today? And the Holy Spirit, through John, calls us to grow and to progress in increased faith for the miracles in us as well as the miracles through us. Whether you are a new Christian or one who has walked with the Lord for many years, it is God's desire for us to stand in humility and to be called to grow and to progress and increase faith, faith for miracles in us and faith for miracles through us. I take you, first of all, I know I said chapter 4, but let me just show you something from John chapter 1 at verse 14 
where he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, or grace upon grace. So often you've heard us say that we are called to go from grace to grace, from glory to glory, from revelation to revelation, and from faith to faith. Well, today I want us to consider going from grace to grace. Say with me, we're going from grace to grace. And church, as believers, we are never to stop in our pursuit of growing in faith for the miraculous in us as well as the miraculous through us. This church, Bethesda, has stood for over eight decades as a lighthouse, a beacon, an inspiration, and a motivation to others about the miraculous grace of the Lord Jesus. All you have to do is talk with one of the really old-timers of this fellowship, and there's others besides me, by the way, one of the really old-timers of the fellowship, and listen to the stories of the healings and the miracles and deliverance that took place at the old Northside Church in the 50s and the 60s. Those stories are very dramatic and very, uh, very interesting and an incredible display of the power and the grace of God. And then Pastor Des Evans came to pastor this church in the 70s, and he took the fellowship to a deeper and fuller and richer understanding of the grace of Jesus. And so our church knows what it is to go from grace to grace. I want you to notice with me, before we get to our text, and I promise we'll get there in a minute, I want you to notice what Paul says to the Romans, Romans chapter 1. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Verse 11, he says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Say with me this morning, we're going from faith to faith. Well, as we take a brief look at some of these miracles in the Gospel of John and see the first miracle of Christ in chapter 2, the turning of the water into wine at a wedding, I want you to understand that as I see it, that was a miracle of intervention. Say, miracle of intervention. Now, we have a way of saying that around here. If you've heard the phrase and wonder what we're saying, that's what that means. We call it, it was a but God moment. But God. How many of you have heard that phrase? What we mean by that is we say, we're saying it was a situation headed like this. It was, it was not going to go well somehow, but because of divine intervention, because of what God has done in his sovereignty, he stepped in, he intervened into the situation, and it became a but God moment. That's what happened. When Jesus came, they were running out of wine, and there was a but God moment. We call it a miracle of intervention. But when I take you to our text for the morning in John chapter 4, and I will get there, starting at verse 46, we see that this was a different kind of miracle. This is what we would call or refer to as a miracle of intercession. Say that with me. A miracle of intercession is a miracle that not only takes, can take place in us, but it is a miracle that takes place through us. None of us are called to only be recipients of miracles. 
We like that. We all want to be the recipient of miracles, but that is not our calling in God to only be recipients of miracles. When God graces you with an extravagant expression of His power, then it's time to raise a hallelujah. Amen. But we are called also to be used by God so that others know of God's miraculous power. And so we look at the second miracle where Jesus comes back to Cana of Galilee. And it is here where we see that which is called the miracle of the nobleman's son who is being healed. This is the situation of a man who is coming to Christ on behalf of his son who is sick. It is a miracle of intercession, a miracle through intercession. Follow along with me as I read our text, John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. Now grasp the details of the story as we go along, please. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he, his son, was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him, roughly one o'clock in the afternoon. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. This text that we're reading this morning serves as a reminder to all of us that God has called each one of us to be an intercessor. God is raising up his Latter-day Church to be a people who will stand in the gap and be a church of intercession. And I believe, Bethesda, that God is purifying us from being a church that is self-centered. I think He's purifying us from being a church that is focused only on our own needs and a people only concerned with our own needs and our own blessings. I think God is purifying us from, from being a church of only our own inward religious rituals. He's causing the scales to fall from our eyes, and God is raising up a church some places in the hardest nations of the world, the poorest nations of the world, and they understand that they have a responsibility and that they are standing with the power of God in their midst and in their hearts. And the authority to stand for God in our cities and in our homes. And I must ask you today, what are you standing for? What are you standing for? So I was thinking of this. I thought about this song that the choir, our choir has sung for years. They do it so wonderfully. You've been our home. You've been our shelter safe for young and old from generations past. We stand in awe of a God so great. We stand in thanks for your faithfulness. Oh, Lord, you have been our, our dwelling place. What are you standing for? 
You realize that when you stand, particularly when you're standing in the house of the Lord, it's not just because the person on the platform asked you to. You're standing in something. You're standing in faith. You're standing in gratitude. You're standing. And I guess the question to all of us today is, where are the people of God who know what it is to stand in awe, to stand in thanks, to stand in righteousness, to stand in faithfulness, and to stand in praise? What are you standing for today? Not only is God doing a corporate work, but also an individual work, and He's bringing believers back to the place of intercession. So what are the marks of an intercessor? Well, let me give you this one. This may be something you want to write down. If you wonder, what does that word even mean? What is intercessor? Well, I'm going to help you today. An intercessor is one who has the courage to look reality in the face and to take spiritual responsibility. Is that up on the screen? Say it with me. An intercessor. And that's what we see in our text from John chapter 4 in this father of this son. He says, my son is dying. I'm coming from Capernaum. I'm coming for my son. I'm, I'm coming in faith. I'm coming in prayer. I'm coming to Christ for someone else. And I'm coming and I'm taking spiritual responsibility. And we must remember who this man is. Scripture refers to him as a nobleman. He was a king's man. He was, he was a nobleman. He was accustomed to giving orders. He was used to having others do things for him. He's, he has been a king's man. He has known his own position and promotion in an earthly king. But he is brought to a place in his life where he realizes that no earthly king can satisfy the desperate need he is facing in his life. And so he is brought to a place where the only one who can satisfy, the only one who can answer his need is the king of kings, the one who truly sits on the throne. And if you have not as of yet had to come to that place, there will surely come a day when as a believer in Christ, you will have to take spiritual responsibility for someone else. This is my son. Oh, God, this is my, this is my daughter. This is my, my wife. My, this is my family. And let me say to every dad in the house, our responsibility, dads, our responsibility, men, is to not only provide for our families, but we are called to be the priest of our household. And therewith, to be a man of intercession on behalf of our family. We are called to praise Him for the miraculous in our lives, but we are also to pray for the miraculous in the lives of other people. By the grace of God, you are called to spiritual responsibility. And it is a choice. It is a choice of denial or a choice of deliverance. That's your choice. Because there will be no miracle in your house as long as you are standing in denial, as long as you are turning your head the other way, saying things like, it's too hurtful to acknowledge the spiritual state of my children. Uh -uh. I, 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 have, I have too many needs for myself. I'm going to be in denial about what's happening with my kids. I've prayed for so long 
And the breakthrough hasn't come. So, so now I'm just left. I'm, I'm worn out, Pastor Dan. I'm, I'm tired of praying for that. I've, I've given it all that I have. I've expended all of my energy. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to leave it in cliches, saying things like, I'm leaving them in God's hands. Please hear me and hear me carefully. Are you still listening to me this morning? Leaving them in God's hands can be something pure and true and powerful if it is done in the manifestation of faith. But it can also be the first pangs of fatalism. It can also be a heart that has just given up and there is no deliverance in denial. It's your choice. Denial or deliverance? Fatalism or the fight of faith? So what is intercession? Intercession, it's coming to the king on behalf of someone else. Read it with me. What is intercession? It is... Well, we understand it's roughly 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. His father makes the journey for his son. And any uh, look at all deeper into the scripture will show you that there's the words used really imply a little son, his little boy. This man, this father, has the courage to be real about his situation because he knows that there is death knocking at the door of his house. And there are those times you have to face that reality. Death is knocking at our door. It is there. I can't deny it. It's what's happening. But with his courage to be real comes also the confidence of the supernatural. You can have both. You can have the courage to be real about your circumstances and stand in the confidence of the supernatural. The situation is real, but I'm going to choose to not sink into despair and hopelessness. Death is real, but I'm coming to the God of resurrection. I'm coming to the King of kings. I'm coming to the giver of life. And that's the confidence I'm going to stand in, the supernatural, because as we said at the beginning, I believe in miracles, and I believe in a God for whom there is nothing impossible. Bethesda, hear me clearly this morning. In the midst of a global church that is selfish and self-centered, God is seeking intercessors. He's seeking a people who live with the awareness of the need to stand in the gap for others. What does that mean, to stand in the gap? for? What do you mean by that? It's standing before God to defend someone else. It's standing before God to obtain. It's standing to push back. What are you standing for this morning? It's standing to push back death. What does it mean? It is, it is a place of courage to stand in the gap. It's a place of faith. Intercession is also a place of patience. It's a place where you don't walk by sight. Uh-uh. Intercession, no, not, not based upon how you feel about what you see. That's not what intercession is. It's a place where you are not on a clock, nor are you on a timetable. That's what intercession is. I don't care how tired you get. I don't care how weary you get in the battle. doesn't matter. You, an, intercessor, an intercessor is not aware of the clock or the timetable. It's a place where you are confident that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That his word will be the final word on what takes place. 
It's a place where you are absolutely sure that he is the one who has begun a good work and he is the one who will complete it. That's what standing in the gap is all about. Standing in faith. Standing in confidence that we serve an almighty God. After Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, he was taken to a high mountain. The devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, all this power and authority, this is the devil speaking, has been delivered unto me, has been relinquished unto me. I got to ask you a hard question this morning. You know I love you. I surely, but let me ask you a hard question. Have you relinquished? Have you relinquished your spiritual authority? Have you relinquished your position? Have you relinquished your spiritual responsibility and your calling? Have you relinquished the potential for the miraculous through you? Well, Dan, how do we relinquish that authority? How do we relinquish that? I I hope I haven't. Have, Have I? We can relinquish our authority through bitterness that can creep in. We can relinquish our authority through hidden sin. Let me just remind you, prayer will keep us from sin, and sin will keep us from prayer. You want me to say that again? Some of you weren't even listening. You're on your phones. I can see you. Get off of it and listen to me. Prayer will keep us from sin, and sin will keep us from prayer. How do you relinquish Your spiritual authority. How do you relinquish your spiritual responsibility? Murmuring. Complaining. The eroding of our faith through time. Just allowing things to get fuzzier. Because you haven't been excited and stirred in a while. And it's caused you to just erode your faith. This morning, Bethesda, God is calling us back to intercession. The intercessor looks reality in the face. The intercessor is shocked by nothing. Nothing that they may hear or what someone has done. And I want you to know how grateful I am that I have intercessors that I can go to in this fellowship. I've gone to several of you and I've said, I need someone that I know, that I know that I know, knows how to stand in the gap. That when I send so and so to you, you will not be shocked by what they're going to tell you. Because it's not a pretty story. And there's, I'm not sure I've even heard all the uglies. But you will not be shocked. And you will look reality in the face, shocked by nothing. But you will then take spiritual responsibility by reaching out to God in prayer and standing to resist and push back the enemy. That's what an intercessor does. What does that look like, Pastor Dan? It's a picture of a mom... Or a dad who in the early morning or at noon or in the evening, they step away from the internet, they get off Facebook, they turn the television off, and they go before God and to begin to speak the name of their son, begin to speak the name of their daughter. They, get the, they hold up the name of a neighbor or a friend or maybe it's their mom or their dad. They speak their name before them. And in that moment, they may feel so alone. You may feel so weak and so feeble that you hardly even know what to pray. And aren't you thankful in that moment that we have the spirit that dwells within us who does know what to pray at the exact time in the exact way? 
and it may come out of your mouth as a groan. But the Spirit of God that lives within us knows how to give life. And you may feel so alone and feeble and weak, but God would say to you today that that moment is the most powerful, electrifying place on the planet that you can possibly be because that is the place where life is changed and death is pushed back. Hallelujah. Somebody give God praise this morning. Come on. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. There's an amazing moment in Numbers chapter 16. I want you to get this, please. I'm going to do my very best to deliver it to you. The Bible says that the congregation, let me just give it to you. We're not going to put it on the screen. The congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron. The church people came against the leadership of the church. Hallelujah. But the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared, and they fell on their faces. So the church was falling on their faces, but the Bible tells us that a plague had started outside, and 14,700 people, we're given the exact number, died in the plague that's outside. So what happened? Aaron took a flame from God's altar. And he ran in the midst of the people with a flame from God's altar in his hand, standing between the living and the dead. Get that picture in your mind. A flame from off of God's altar, running between the people, between the living and the dead. And the plague stopped. Now, let's understand. Aaron was no perfect man. Scripture makes that clear. His inadequacies, his impatience, his moments of failure are certainly and clearly there. But in this moment that I've just tried to describe to you, he captures something that I am praying and asking God will fill all of our hearts today. As the plague is devouring people all around the people of God, who, who, who you must remember were gathered together to be against Moses and Aaron, most pastors will tell you, the biggest part of their energy and time and efforts is to try to hold the church together and keep the church together. It's, it's to try to put out the fires inside and respond to the pressures within, which can be greater than the pressures without. But there's a group that is sulking and complaining. There's another group that as the glory of God appears, they are lying there prostrate before the glory of God, which is what we are to do in the presence of God. But they stay there as the plague devours the people. So I see three groups here. I see the complainer, I see the consumer, and I see the combatant. Complainer, consumer, combatant. Which one have you been? Which one have you been? Which one have you been? The complainer, he's not fighting against sin. He's not interceding. He's always in the conflicts. He's always in the inner fighting of the church. He can always tell you what's wrong with the church, what should be happening. That's the complainer. We don't have any of those in Bethesda.
That's the complainer. There's the consumer. Those are the people who are coming to God only to sit in the glory. This is going to get interesting. That's the person who wants the blessing and more blessing and more blessing after that and then a little extra blessing. These people will stand in line to get the blessing and they have because for them it's all about me, 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 and more me. It's about what have you done for me lately? It's about what has the church done for me lately? And it's certainly what has the pastor done for me lately? But ask them to serve? Ask them to be an intercessor? Ask them to reach beyond themselves to someone else? No, not particularly interested. They, they've come for the blessing. They're here for the blessing. They are consumers. People often talk to me about revival. Pastor, we need a revival, they say. Yes. In my humble opinion, Bethesda, true revival takes us is that which takes us from grace to grace and from faith to faith. Any true revival that would come in us would take us from that place of being, thank God, restored and being healed, and it then opens our hearts to others who need Him because we've learned what it is to go from grace to grace and from faith to faith. We haven't stayed in that one place. In other words, true revival takes us to the place of intercession. True revival takes us just from inspiration to intercession, to stand between the living and the dead as Aaron did, to push back on death and help bring people to life in Jesus. Church, there is a voice calling to us today saying, you may have been a complainer, you may have been a consumer, but I have called you to be a combatant and to stand in the gap so that through you the miraculous will touch other people for the glory of the name of Jesus. The intercessor reaches up to God to resist and push back the enemy. They stand there with a hand on God's shoulder, but they also stand with the other hand on man's shoulder. That's the picture of intercessor. Folks, it's called the church of the living God. It's why the gathering of the people of God is still critical for today if you want to be a New Testament believer. We don't do this thing in a vacuum. We don't, we're not Christians in a vacuum. We are literally part of the body of, the, of Christ. You can't say to me, you don't need me. I can't say to you, I don't need you. We are part of the body. And a true intercessor has one hand touching God and the other hand touching someone else. Now, there are some folks who choose to have a hand on God only, never touching others. That leads to blindness. It leads to hardness. You don't see the plague that has just hit 14,700 people right around you. It leads to becoming, uh, it, it leads to infighting. It leads to becoming an expert in every kind of constitutional debate possible. But for those people, those people have lost the heart for the people outside. For them, it's me and Jesus, we're good and no one else. That's 
not what a believer is called to be. But one hand on people only, even wanting to do good things for them, to help them, to deliver them, or feed them, with no hand on God, will lead to burnout. This leads to blindness. This leads to burnout, and it leads to activism. What is that? It leads to being disappointed. It leads to being hurt. You set yourself up to be hurt. I'm giving so much of myself, my very life, giving it all. I'm just doing and doing and doing and doing. But if you're not in communion with the one whose heart renews you, I said renews you in love, the love of God being poured out in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, one hand on God alone and never touching man, that's blindness. One hand on man alone, never touching God, that's burnout. But you put one hand on God and the other hand on man, and that will lead to divine breakthrough for the glory of the name of Jesus. However, it's breakthrough not always in the way you imagine and not always in the timetable you prefer. The intercessor, am I helping you at all today? The intercessor reaches out to God in prayer to resist and push back the enemy. He has the courage to look reality in the face and to take spiritual responsibility. The intercessor refuses to reduce God. He refuses to limit God, and he finds rest in his promises. In our text, the father came to Jesus and said, that, that father, the little boy, come and he said, come down to my house and heal my son. He had faith that with his plans, with his sequence of events, with his vision of things, with his expectations and experiences, with his limited understanding of what, when, and how God uh, should do the miraculous, it could happen. He walked 20 miles from Capernaum. He was a man with a plan. He was a leader. He was a military man, a political man. He was used to a short-term, mid-term, and long-term plan. He had it all. He had his own plan on how Jesus was going to do this miracle probably was leaning on his own accomplishments and successes and past experiences for determining exactly how this thing was going to happen. Jesus, you will come to my house, and that's where you're going to heal my son. Buckle up. Many people want the heavens to open without humility and obedience. Many want wonders, but in their own way and in their own wisdom. Many want deliverance and signs, but without denying self. They want triumph without trust. They want the supernatural without submission. And they want the miraculous without the master. Many believers, hear me, want to serve God, but only as advisors. feel that just floating through the room. Books have been written about this, and I've heard people talk about this a lot. I've seen, I even think I heard a song, God is my co-pilot. Can I just say this to you? If God is your co-pilot, swap seats. Hey, brother, you're blessed. Because it's only His grace that you're even on the plane. Let Him be the pilot. The father of the boy in our text said to Jesus, come to my house. Jesus said, no. No, go, go your way. Your son lives. 
So he got a no from Jesus. Some of you have received a no from the Lord. And if that's happened to you really recently, and you're down in the dumps about it, let me remind you. When you get a no from God, there is always a greater yes coming if you will hold on to him. I know you didn't like the no that you got. It hurt your feelings, didn't it? Disappointing. Wasn't what you planned. But when you get a no from God, just stand firm in your trust and confidence because there's a greater yes coming for the glory of the name of Jesus. It's not what you thought would happen that makes the miracle possible. That's not what makes the miracle possible. What you think is going to happen, it's what you trust God with that makes the miracle possible. How many of you are good like me at planning what God should do? Raise your hand. The rest of you, you're not telling the truth. We'll have an altar call for liars. I just wonder if the Holy Spirit is saying to someone today, it has not happened in the way you thought. It has not happened in the time frame you thought. But today, I'm calling you to trust in the name of the Lord God Almighty and to trust in the word of the Lord, and he will see to it. The intercessor refuses to reduce God, and he finds rest in his promises. The father in our text thought he knew how Jesus was going to heal his son. He asked Jesus to his home to heal his son. Jesus said, no, go your way. Your son lives. And I'm going to wrap it up here in just a second. As the man leaves to go back to Capernaum, he comes to that moment that we all come to from time to time. It's that moment when you have to go back on the path of life. Church service is over. The singers have stepped off the platform. The music has stopped. The atmosphere is gone. You're walking back into your situation. You're going back into your, your, your battle. Nothing seems to have changed. Everything looks as it did before you got to church. It all looks the same. And God did not answer you the way you thought. That's what happened to this dad. Didn't answer the way he thought. But all you have as you walk back on your path of life to your circumstances. What you do have is a word from him. And can I just say to your heart today, from my heart to your heart, if you have a word from God, that's all you need. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not into your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And that means standing. I see how it looks. Yep, I see how it smells. Skunk and all. Isn't that very good? Nothing seems any different than it was yesterday. The heavens must be brass. They're not hearing me. But if God has said to you, no, go your way, your son lives. Then you stand on the word of the Lord. That's what you stand upon today.